Welcome to Rewilding Love. This season is with a couple on the brink of divorce. This is episode number 26, an interview with Lainey Barrett. There would be this moment of peace, like when I'd wake up and then I would feel the obsession, like come back in. Those obsessive compulsive tendencies, that was driven by me being locked in the prison of my critical mind. I just had this out of mind moment where I was connected with everything in the planet and I was everywhere all at once. Expanded states of awareness are much more common than we realize. I did feel that like head to heart shift. The life force power of this universe coursing through me comes to me through intuition or, or by whatever means, my instincts, my gut. I don't actually feel like my body represents me. The empowerment is within you. I just want people to know how I'm comfortable being referred to. We can be connected with the oneness, but we can also honor and respect our human form. It's so courageous for you to take that step. If rewilding feels good to you, same for me. <laughs> you are listening to Rewilding Love with me, Angus Ross. And me, Rohini Ross. Rewilding Love is a podcast about relationships. We believe that love never disappears completely in relationships. It can always be rewilded. Listen in as we speak with our guests about how they share the understanding behind the rewilding metaphor in their work. And how it has helped them in their relationships. Relax and enjoy the show. We are really grateful to have Lainey Barrett as our guest today. Lainey is a valued member of our Rewilder team. We're very grateful for the work that Lainey does. Lainey's in charge of the digital management for our brand. And Lainey's also an amazing writer and makes my life so much easier because of their talent. And it's easy to see why Lainey would be considered to be such an amazing writer because they're so articulate and such a great storyteller. Yes, it was actually something that Lainey wrote that had me reach out and ask about this podcast episode. And I thought I would share what Lainey wrote here because it was really moving. Recently, Lainey came out as non-binary, and this is what Lainey wrote. I don't identify as a woman, lady, or girl. She, her are still acceptable pronouns for me. They, them are also acceptable. But I prefer gender-neutral nouns. Example, Lainey's an annoying person. Or, I remember when she was a kid. Or, tiny beer for a tiny human. And that's related to the post, the image with the post. I wrestled with this for years because at some point I decided it was my responsibility or a good thing to do to expand what it means to be a woman for people and myself, instead of de-identifying with the gender I was assigned. This has led me to constantly write off my feelings of gender dissonance as not requiring any changes or accommodations. But recently, I've decided to give myself the gift of my own comfort and progress towards self-actualization. And I can see clearly that womanhood does not need my personal identification in order to be an expansive gender inflated sense of self-importance indeed. 
So there you have it. Happy to answer any thoughtful, clarifying questions. And so after this post, I thought it would be a great idea to have Lainey speak more to this for us to learn more about it and also for our listeners to have a greater understanding as well. Yeah, it was certainly very educational for me. And uh, I look forward to, uh, to having a different vernacular for myself in the future. In addition to Lainey sharing their journey around gender dissonance and being able to feel comfortable coming out as non-binary, Lainey also speaks to a profound spiritual awakening that was experienced and how that has continued to unfold and deepen um, for Lainey, as well as the impact that that has had on relationships and on the experience of anxiety. And I think that's a really interesting exploration as well. And Angus, I know that you have also suffered with um, compulsive thinking, and that's been something that you've really benefited from this understanding helping you with too. You know, it's funny because I I wouldn't necessarily use that label to describe myself, although maybe once upon a time I would. Now that just feels so alien to me because I just see that for me and myself, suffering from obsessive compulsive thinking was just where I was in my state of mind at that particular time. And I was making myself believe that those thoughts were real, that they were somehow defining me. Now I just see them for what they are, which is nothing more than an illusion. It's kind of like they're pixels on a screen. They're not real. Um, And I think that this understanding helped me get a real sense of that. Um, And I'm sure there was obviously um, an insight that came out of me realizing that I'm so much more than those pixels on a screen, um, that I am the life force power of this universe coursing through me comes to me through intuition or or by whatever means, my instincts, my gut. Um, and the rest of it is just stuff that I make up with my critical mind. Uh, and it's just not true. And, and in certainly in, those sent, in that situation where I would have those obsessive compulsive tendencies, that was driven by me being locked in the prison of my critical mind and not realizing that there's so much more to life and me Um, in a much bigger way. Yeah, and it's amazing how when we open up to who we are in that much bigger way, how it helps us put those pixels into perspective so that they don't grip us in the same way. Yeah. And this also really points to that uh, profound experience that Lainey had in terms of opening up to that experience of expanded consciousness And that's powerful when we can have that. And often when we hear about those kinds of experiences, it's as if there's only a limited number of people that access that state of consciousness. But I think more and more we're hearing how those kind of expanded states of awareness are much more common than we realize. Yeah, and I think for the most part, there's probably such a, a stigma attached to this idea that this is something altogether outside the box and kind of a little bit woo-woo, uh, when in reality it's something that's perfectly normal. And to have um, a moment of awakening sounds so grandiose, but in fact it's actually something that can be very simple and normal. 
and that you can be driving up the hill as I was. And I had my own experience driving up to Panga Canyon. I just suddenly had this incredible sense that I'm kind of one with the tarmac and one with the trees. They're all made up of the same matter. We're all made up of the same subatomic particles. When it breaks down to that level, we're just all atoms assembled in different ways. But that intelligence, the same intelligence that courses through me, courses through the atoms in the tarmac. We're made up of the same material. And that for me is just my poor way of articulating what for me felt like a moment of awakening. But I kind of get what Lainey is going to share about on that sense. Yeah. And also what Lainey pointed to, which I think is really important, is that we all have our unique experience of spirituality. Nobody can tell us what our version of spirituality is. We can only speak to our lived experience of it. And that there's a big difference between a conceptual understanding of spirituality and a lived experience, an experiential knowing, an embodied experience of that. And I thought Lenny pointed to that really beautifully as well. Yeah, they did. Um, and the other thing that occurs to me to say here is that it's, isn't it interesting how as far as our own separate realities are concerned in the way that we filter the outside world that we experience and create our own narratives around, that when the subject of spirituality emerges, um, there's so much common ground and so much of it is universal, even in the same way that they were talking about how they had this experience that felt like a moment of awakening. I think that that moment of awakening is, is, is going to be pretty common for a lot of people in the way that they have had similar experiences i've know i know that i've had a similar experience so yeah we can all have our own filter and our own way of seeing the world but when it comes to spirituality there is so much about it in terms of the storytelling in terms of the articulation that is universal yeah that i would agree with that and i also appreciated how laney pointed to the importance of community and that was one of the differences in terms of this time around uh, deepening and spiritual understanding to do it in a communal setting. And I'm really grateful that Lainey's one of the practitioners in our rewilding community and the freshly certified rewilding guide and sharing this understanding with people. So that's really exciting. Folder number 62. Yeah. And isn't it interesting, too, how we are all communal creatures by nature and how a significant part of Laney's healing was to find their self invigorated by immersing their self in a community of people all looking in the direction of their essential nature. Yes, and looking in that direction through the lens of the rewilding metaphor, there's room for all of our human experience. There isn't a separation between the spiritual and the human. We recognize that it all comes from the same source. And that, as Lainey mentioned initially, when there was that awakening experience, there was the tendency to minimize the human experience and to poo-poo preferences and to... Are you not okay with that word? <laughs> he said poo-poo. Yes. I just noticed you bolted up a lot to me when I said that. 
guess it's it's in on the theme of toilet humor that we seem to get into last week. <laughs> well, is that not an okay term? Poo poo. Well, what's the what's the alternative that you would say? Oh, I don't know. I no, I, I didn't really react to it. You, you seem to be more reactive to than I was. You bolted up, but you don't normally look at me. All of a sudden, you looked at me. I was surprised I hadn't heard you say something like that before. It's rude. Okay. I guess that's not allowed on our podcast. So that we can have the tendency to minimize our human experience, to override it, thinking that it's not spiritual, that it's not important. And really from the rewilding understanding, it's making room for it all. And what I hear in Lainey's experience is that from a more grounded understanding, there's room for both and there's room for the human preferences. We can be connected with the oneness, but we can also honor and respect our human form. And then in fact, through that, ability to be with both, we experience more of the unconditional love that is our nature and that informs the choices that we make in our human experience. Just as Lainey coming out and what was shared, that was self-honoring, that was coming from love. And in speaking to social justice issues, we can make choices that bring more love into the world and have us stand forward in activism, have us stand forward for equity and justice. And there doesn't need to be this false separation between our spiritual nature and our human experience. Amen to that. All right, well, let's hear from Lainey. Lenny, thank you so much for being a guest on our podcast. We get to spend a lot of time with you and your support of the Rewilding brand, the Rewilding community. You're an amazing copywriter, and uh, it's just wonderful to see you stepping into being of service and uh, stepping into the role of practitioner. And we really are looking forward to having this conversation with you to explore what your experience has been with the Rewilding journey for yourself and and what that's opened up for you oh awesome I mean I'm really happy to be here and felt really honored when you asked so it's great to be here and thank thanks Lainey so much I think it's so generous of you to 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 just share this time with us and and uh, I know that you do so much for us to make our lives easier I'm not exactly sure of all the things that you do (laughs) but I know you do a lot and as a consequence, our lives are easier, <laughs> which is good news for me because right. I like my life to be easy. I'm definitely trying to to have that be the outcome. <laughs> That's right. And there's that saying, what is it? Happy wife, happy life. Angus is very much uh, in agreement with that. <laughs> Absolutely. So, yeah, no, you're it, it's a huge, huge help, everything that you do. So we are very grateful. Oh, but for you. our listeners, we would love to... Um, have them hear about your journey, uh, which started before we even met you in terms of coming across an understanding that, that really shifted things for you. But it's, it's been, you know, um, I don't know if, if you call it bumpy or it's, you know, it's been a journey. So we would love to mm-hmm. hear what that experience has been like for you. Yeah, absolutely. So um, that's totally right that I've had some peaks and valleys with this understanding. Um, so I it, I was in 
um, grad school for my uh, mental health counseling degree when I I was facing some personal troubles um, on the relationship front and just a whole lot of anxiety. Um, I we saw one therapist who said I was having some like relational PTSD <laughs> um, where I, I was really caught up on an event that had happened like early on in our relationship. And I just like could not move past it. Like I would wake up. In fact, Angus, you had a recording where you talked about obsessive thinking. I, I'd get up and there would be this moment of peace, like when I'd wake up and then I would feel the obsession like come back in like this <laughs> dark snake or something. yeah so it, you know bad not great times um <laughs> i wasn't sleeping well um and through this i'm in counseling school um and you know i'm learning how to be a counselor or learning the theories of, of treatment really um and so there's a lot of like dissonance. Um, I don't feel that mentally healthy <laughs> in my life. And I'm learning how to be a mental health practitioner, um, learning different theories that I'm supposed to settle on as my idea of treatment or like what's gonna work for clients in the future. And I still don't know what works for me. So I, you know, I just felt sort of like a fraud. Um, and so I was, there was a lot of late night Googling or whatnot of just like, how, how can I, I, I don't even know what I was asking Google, probably like, how can I, <laughs> I just know something came up of like how to be happy or something like that, which then sort of pivoted into the coaching world. I, I stumbled upon like um, the four agreements written by Don Miguel Ruiz <laughs> um, and another coach who was talking about his stuff and so I, I, it all started to like open up for me when I found those, those kinds of books, um, Power of Now. And for this, I mean, what I got from these readings was um, I could see my thoughts. So I, there was like, I got to have a, a separation for the first time in a long time. And that brought on just like a lot of relief. Um, and eventually, I believe um, it might have been Amy Johnson was the first person I heard of, and I don't remember exactly how. And then, um, and then Michael Neal, and you know, like many others, you know, I read the Inside Out Revolution, yeah. And um, so then I went from okay, I've had this like separation between me and my thoughts, which was kind of mind blowing. And now I have something that I can actually spiritually connect to. So like the twofer became very um, enriching and, and relieving. Um, yeah, I remember I was listening to one of his early um, podcasts and I was just driving over the freeway and like, <laughs> I just had this very, um, I won't say out of body because I was safely driving, but um, <laughs> I just had this out of mind moment where I was connected with everything in the planet and I was everywhere all at once. And um, it was just one of those magical moments where you then, yeah, I just like looked behind 
the the wall or something. <laughs> and so uh, this was all great and great news for me that I felt like this wild dose of enlightenment. Um, but you know, in the world of form and my regular life, I was then still having trouble kind of integrating this with um, finishing up my degree and traditional therapies and um, and with fully battling the the obsessive thinking that I had around my partner. And so, um, yeah, I still didn't really, we ended up splitting up because I just really couldn't fully I moved past a lot of things in my life with this understanding um I was sleeping better um I wasn't experiencing IBS <laughs> to be honest like a lot of, yeah like just a lot of things were getting clearer um but I couldn't really crack the code on that so we ended up um breaking up and then um yeah like sort of the darkness <laughs> took hold again mm -hmm. <laughs> yeah so that was that was like two years later after I'd first discovered this um and and that was the first time where then I kind of just fully I couldn't really read about this understanding and, and whatnot because I didn't feel like I um I think it was a misunderstanding at the time but I didn't think I could unthink my experience <laughs> like, um it just was too painful and um so we sort of i lost touch for a while um and and rohini as you know specifically like another reason i was having trouble is sometimes the things i would read about or the communities i would find on facebook to to pop into the way that they talked about or didn't talk about social justice issues, like just felt missing the mark for me. And so just kind of dabbled in, dabbled out for a while. Um, and then um, I won't get, I won't dwell on all the details, but things, you know, started to look up for me and um, I started to kind of get back into this a bit. I got into a new relationship, so I felt some of the same old thinking habits starting to come back and I so I sought traditional help and um this understanding uh you know three principles help as well and um and that's when I found you and you had you know after George Floyd was murdered I guess this is last summer you know you had the blog where the subject line was just straight up Black Lives Matter and so I um I was like, okay, I like this. So I, I kind of came fully back in, if you will, <laughs> which led to joining the um, the rewilding community and the rewilding guide training. You were the gateway drug. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> <laughs> and what I hear in that in terms of when you sort of revisited looking at things from this perspective and, and reconnecting in a sense through the lens of the rewilding metaphor. You know, it's our metaphor. It doesn't, there's, there's no one way to open up to our spiritual nature. This is the way that Angus and I like to speak to it. But what would you say was the, the deeper cut or the misunderstanding that got cleared up inside of you when you came back in? Because it sounded like that was a different experience, less from the intellect perhaps. So I just was curious about that. 
Yeah, I think what was missing before was um, community and, um, you know, talking about and experiencing this with other people. And so um, in doing that, I was able to go kind of out of the intellectual and really get more of the kind of live more in the feeling space that people in this understanding have historically talked about. Um, and so I did feel that like head to heart shift. So, you know, if there were still some gaps intellectually or things I couldn't like quite um, reckon with, I started to feel uh, which kind of filled that gap. And at the same time with rewilding, I was able to embody the understanding differently, like feel my own voice and my own way of understanding it, um, which helped me to to feel the truth in it. Uh, versus before I was kind of looking to the practitioners to get it perfectly right in order for me to like um, buy it or something. <laughs> and then instead I was like, I was feeling it and I was realizing that I can have my own um, take on this. So sort of empowered, I guess, with the rewilding. Even this morning, I work with a new client, and um, and always when you're sharing this understanding for the first time, and you you try to to make the appropriate points, I guess, but. They're always wanting that magic bullet, that process or that technique. And, and, and so often now I find myself just trying to cut to the chase. It's like, I can't answer those questions for you. You've got to find that voice with inside of you. Um, and that's really, really my job as a coach is to, is to get them to really develop a rapport with that part of themselves, to reacquaint themselves with that part of themselves so they can make those decisions for themselves. But it's so right what you're saying is finding that voice. Um, and trusting that and trusting our intuition form is always kind of clunky it's like there's not a one size fits all you know even with the principles it's form it's it's a it's a way of pointing to form which you know is going to have its shortcomings i'm sure i'm sure sid banks would be the first to say that mm -hmm. yeah there's no way to put something that's formless into form without it being a as Greg would say, compressed and losing right. some of the impact in it. No, but absolutely. But I really appreciate what you're saying, Lainey, about recognizing that the empowerment is within you, that there isn't anyone outside of you that can give it to you or who can really get it right for you. That has to happen for each of us within ourselves. I love that. Exactly, yeah. And as part of this... Um, experience where it sounds like more of an embodied spirituality would you call it that yeah yeah so more of an embodied feelingful experience of spirituality how did that impact you in terms of realizations you know the increase in self-love like how did that unfold for you in your personal life and, and within yourself I think um, one of the first things I started to notice like during our the, the training, I would go with my first inkling more often, you know, like I could really start to see again how I pile up um, thoughts or fears or assumptions on top of like what my original <laughs> gut, you know, thought was. 
Um, and so I started to just do a little less thinking just in that way. Um, and then in the personal life that translated into like, or at least in my partnership, um, yeah, letting the upset just like kind of roll away a little bit sooner, a little bit quicker, um, wanting to reconnect quicker to just our a feeling of connection with each other versus like needing to have gotten all the words right. It's just uh, starting to shed things that aren't true. And, and honestly, the, this also, you know, came together with a moving across the country and a COVID and a rewilding. And so I have all this, you know, time and space to shed the things that I'd been speedily accruing without much thought, um, you know, whether it's jobs or friends or so I could really think about like, what do I, what do I enjoy doing? What do I feel good at? What do I feel confident about? Um, and what am I still embodying about myself or saying about myself that actually doesn't feel good to me, you know? And so, and one of those things was um, kind of just rolling with it when I'd be lumped in to like a, a hi ladies intro in an email or like, you know, or just being, I think sometimes so, you know, presenting as what I would call a little like more masculine, sometimes you think people are going to pick up on what you are like attempting to put out there, um, you know, which matches your inside more. And, um, but people, you know, aren't, they're going to see what they see and they're going to um, not want to make assumptions or something. So I think I was thinking that people would kind of know to ask me or, or maybe mistakenly, you know, mistake me for non-binary or a man or something. And, and, and then as that wasn't happening, I was like, you know, maybe it's just time to like actually own it. <laughs> so that's the other way in which it culminated. <laughs> yeah. And I think that that's really you stepping into your authenticity and, and empowering yourself in that way and educating people as well. And that's one of the reasons we wanted to have you on as a podcast guest, because I think it takes a lot of courage to do that. And you're really demonstrating leadership that supports not just yourself, but others in this way. And I'm wondering, could you share a little bit more about what that experience has been like for you in terms of gender dissonance and, and how that's unfolded? Because I think that's something that a lot of people don't know much about. And it would be great, I know, for Angus and myself to learn more about it, as well as our listeners, too. Yeah, totally. Um, I mean, for me, really, I've just always felt, um, like, uncomfortable with my body. And uh, you know, there's times where you'll relate it to, well, like plenty of people don't like this or that, or like <laughs> their thighs or their boobs are too big or too small. And it's like, yeah, but no, like, I just, I don't actually feel like my body represents me. And I think sometimes that's, that might be a, a key difference in the dissonance piece. And it kind of, I think I didn't know how much that was really blocking me from feeling um, embodied as we keep saying, <laughs> like from feeling um, like instead of there's this outline of myself outside of myself, it's like to really 
match up with me. I think um, my body presentation just doesn't match that. Well, what you're saying sounds so healthy and, and, and grounded because most people I'm sure go through life with, with, with those, those challenges and those insecurities around body image. I know certainly I did. I can put my hand up to that. No uncertain terms. So I think just to sort of have that as part of your, you know, a makeup is, is pretty incredible. It, it sounds, it just sounds healthy to me. I would like more of that for myself. That's where it's, very relatable for all of us on some level where we can relate to having dislike or not feeling good about a certain part of our body. But also what I'm hearing you say is that there's this dissonance between how you feel inside and what gets represented outside, which is slightly different than just having a, oh, I don't like my thighs kind of experience. Is that accurate? Yeah, totally. Like, I mean, just to be like explicit about it, like my chest is just, it's, it, I wish it wasn't <laughs> what it is, you know, so I just would kind of, I think I would diminish these feelings. Um, and instead of just deciding that I wanted to, you know, make moves on this or, um, or request a different way of being referred to, I would just kind of push it down as being like, not as, you know, like if I'm if I was fully trans, I would know it or something. I think sometimes it for me, what happened is I needed to start looking at what I'm not before I could really like say what I am. And I think because I didn't know what I was <laughs> for so long, I just didn't say anything. Um, and so when I decided to, um, you know, really, I guess, come out as um non-binary um which I'm not even sure I clearly did because <laughs> I actually wasn't clear that I would refer to myself that way at the time but you know when I came out as hey I don't identify as a woman or a lady um here's what you can call me um for me that was coming out as what I'm not and like I'll keep you all posted on who I am <laughs> as I as I keep discovering that um and so actually what ended up happening is some of my um, friends who do present um, more masculinely, you know, and are in female bodies and haven't historically identified as trans um, were like, whoa, like you really put a voice to this for me because they, them, you know, I, I wasn't sure if I felt comfortable with that or, or like, and by saying instead, like, here's the nouns that I have trouble with versus like, okay, I fit squarely in these pronouns. Um, you really put, you really showed me that actually I can request a change. I can, or like a, you know, a change in how I'm referred to, even if it's not the like, I'm going from she, her to they, them or something. I was like, I'm going from she, her to, you can still say that or they, them, but I'm not a woman or a lady. <laughs> It's expansive and it's also, uh, I would imagine, helpful in terms of for people to really know that, to, to be able to have that kind of respect and sensitivity, to have that ma made clear. I think that's so important. 
And it sounds like that was a very liberating and empowering experience for you to do that. Is that accurate? Yeah, honestly, like after I posted that and the reason I like posted it on social media was just that's a, the best catch all I can do. Right. We don't have like email chains anymore. <laughs> like, <laughs> like I didn't flip through my Rolodex, but like, um, you know, it wasn't like I wanted attention or cheers or anything. It was like, I just want people to know how I'm comfortable being referred to. Um, and it, there's a learning curve and that's fine, but at least we've, I've laid it bare. Um, but so anyway, after I posted that, I just felt this like confidence. Like I just felt this, like I was kind of walking on a cloud because man, I just felt more like myself than I had, like maybe ever. <laughs> yeah. So that was cool. I think that's so inspiring. And I think that um, kind of in, in general terms, I feel like there is there are so many rule books about how you're supposed to do this human experience. Mm -hmm. And everybody feels like, well, we need to conform to the rules. And quite often, intuitively, those rules don't seem to be working for us individually. Um, and I still think there's a tendency to feel, yeah, but still, everybody else is doing it this way. We need to do it this way. We need to conform. And yet, our gut is telling us, no, this is not for me. And I feel like, for the most part, that's what depression looks like. It's feeling like, here are these rules. I'm supposed to following it, follow them, but my intuition is telling me otherwise. Mm -hmm. And I feel like, you in this example is like, you know what? My gut is telling me something else. I want to go and explore those possibilities and see what kind of feedback I get. But I feel like when we come into resonance with that innate self-confidence, that intuition that really is where that self-confidence is, is that, yeah, the results of that, yeah, I do feel kind of great. I made this move. I, I ex went on this exploratory exercise that felt like intuitively I was going in the right direction. I still don't know where it's leading to me, leading to ultimately, but I feel so much better taking that step into the unknown rather than resting on everybody else's laurels in terms mm -hmm. of like, you know, better stay put, better follow the rule book. Who wants to do that? So I just think it's just so courageous for you to take that step and then experience the thrill of like yeah you know i'm going in the right direction here because i'm following my intuition i'm not doing it on anybody else's terms and that's the way to do life you know it's a contact sport and it's like you know go out there and make contact with it don't just sit still and do nothing it's all about taking that step into the unknown and see what feedback we get doesn't necessarily mean it's going to take us in the direction we expect or anticipate but just by taking that step is just so invigorating, I think. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I mean, how you said like right direction, that was like the neon sign for me, like, boom, this is the right direction. And I don't know how far I'm going to take it, if there's going to have to be another outing. <laughs> um, <laughs> I'm cool with three or four, that's fine. Um, but like right direction, boom. And that, that was clear as day. Yeah, that's the feedback Angus is talking about. You got really clear inner feedback that this is this is the right direction. The the feeling lets you know like I'm on track. Yeah, and the funny thing is honestly in the gender exploration, I've had um some dissonance with um this understanding because when I first came into this understanding, um I 
it's I won't say like loss of identity, but sort of like I don't care. Like I don't mm-hmm. need my identity <laughs> because I kind of zoomed out so big and was just soaring in the skies. Um it's like who cares about this body or how it's represented. So sometimes I have like I I, I like this feedback because you're right, there was a lot of my true nature happening. And that's the way in which you guys have talked about this understanding as a rewilding has been a really helpful framework for me to be able to do identity work and still, you know, um, and still sometimes be in the sky. Yes. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. But it's like, you can have both. And I think before I thought I was only connected with this if I was like disconnected from everything. But now I know that I can be connected um, even to my thoughts and some of them hold more water for me than others. And some of them I do really need to like follow. Mm-hmm. Yeah. There's a beautiful bridge. I think that we in the human form have that connection, as you're saying with the, the sky, the formless, the essence of who we are. And we get to have this experience in human form that is an incredible gift and we don't need to negate that and we don't need to uh, diminish that it's not less than or not as important it's all part of that wholeness of who we all are yeah and it's a case of kind of creating balance between those two fields we are part sky and we are part (laughs) we are part critical mind and balance with one another and that's how we're supposed to do life Yeah, it's like if we look at it from a spiritual perspective, the sky, we could say, represents consciousness and everything happens within consciousness. Mm -hmm. And there's nothing that's separate from that. And so why would we diminish anything that's part of that? Because it's all happening within the wholeness. And we don't need to reject the human form or reject the human emotions or whatever that might be. Um, in order to be connected with our spiritual nature. I think that's sort of a um, misunderstanding that I had running for quite some time is that somehow um, my human emotions were less than and that if I would get into a negative headspace or emotional space, that that would mean that um, I wasn't spiritual. It was It was something bad and wrong. And now why we use the term rewilding is because we see the health in it all. We recognize that all of it is part of the expansion and awareness and consciousness and that we actually, um, for me, it, it is only true when it's an embodied experience. It, it didn't feel as impactful. It felt much more conceptual when I wasn't including all of that in there. And so it just feels more alive to me when I talk about it that way now. Mm. I always think that that rewilding is to me synonymous with growth and and you know that's so much a part of that field of consciousness is growth and evolution and having ultimately the most optimal experience in that growth and evolution we couldn't be where we are today as a race as a universe as a as a planet without there being that trajectory mm-hmm. to have the most optimal experience in whatever life form whatever shape that takes. It's like, that's to me what, what, what the sky is. The sky is the limit. <laughs> There's you know, no limit. There's no limit to it. Well, that's true. And like that growth is always just ha- like bubbling beneath the surface without yeah. us doing yeah. anything. <laughs> and that growth is about us, is, is about stepping into the unknown. It's just like, you know, moving forward. It's not about staying still. And I think there are so many thoughts to have around what 
depression for me looks like is is just staying still and kind of being stuck with that set of rules and being pigeonholed by that set of rules and making that set of rules somehow our identity when to step outside the box is where where our where our health is for me so that's that's what we're here to do we're here to grow and evolve not stay still yeah, and I, and I hear you in terms of your expression, like that's part of the growth. That's part yeah. of expressing your true nature and it's not separate from that. Totally. And I think, and part of the growth for me was like, you know, taking up space in that way. Like, I, hey, I get to ask for this. Yeah. yeah. Like, <laughs> yeah. Um, I think that was a big step for me instead of like wanting, other, you know, doing a lot of living life for other people's comfort um, in certain ways and just being like, you know, I get to ask for this. <laughs> and you asking for it benefits all of us. It, it contributes to the richness for all of us and seeing that symbiosis and how that expression in the human ecosystem, how it really it increases diversity, it increases aliveness, it increases um, understanding and connection and that experience of love, that it's not a selfish act. Even if you're doing it for yourself, it can't help but not have those repercussions, whether it's this or whether it's someone else with what they're needing to listen to and rewild within themselves. Like it, it's always a benefit to the whole. Yeah, my favorite part was definitely getting the texts from other people who just felt like, whoa, you just nailed it for me. Like I hadn't thought about it that way. You used a term, um, I think you said fully trans. And I'm curious uh, what that means to you and if that's kind of an evolving term or just, just what significance that has. Yeah, no, that's a great question. Um, so I used to think of fully trans as meaning um, that you are transitioning from one end of the binary to the other, um, you know, whether male to female, female to male. Um, and I, which was part of why I really didn't want to like, um, do what might feel like co-opting this space from people who, you know, do go through a full transition and, and all, everything that comes with that if I wasn't like doing that or, <laughs> um, but so I was looking into, I mean, really even just the actual definition of trans as it is in like Merriam-Webster, I think, and it, it said, you know, any sense that you are not in some way the the gender that was assigned to you or that you don't identify with it. Um, so I was like, okay, well, I definitely fit into that. Um, and for the first time, I don't know why it hadn't occurred to me before, but I started looking up some trans literature and, you know, there's just, there's books and things where with the title is literally just you are trans enough <laughs> um and and you know they've talked about how you know in the dominant culture and like cis culture there's it, it's almost that that's their idea of what transgender is is that you would have to be doing boom boom 
um, and that actually there's this whole spectrum. And I still feel a little bit uncomfortable like referring to myself as trans for trans people because I feel like I yeah I just maybe need to have a conversation with someone <laughs> who who identifies as, as trans and maybe and has transitioned to make sure that I'm not um like co-opting their space <laughs> yeah and I haven't done that yet so <laughs> and that's okay but so far there I've some of the literature I've been reading has reinforced that there's a big um spectrum to this yeah isn't it interesting how though we do kind of create rules where wherever we are in life we like those rules and i guess i think that the thing about rewilding is kind of like that movie the fight club but <laughs> the first rule of the fight first club, rules you don't talk about it, fight club well, well that's one of the rules but i think wasn't it one of the rules is like the first rule of the fight fight club is there are no rules and we'll have to check we'll have to fact check I, this we might have to fact check that but but so but what I, my point is, is kind of like, it's so easy to sort of like go from one set of rules to another set of rules. And really all that matters is the rules that we create for ourselves. It's like what works for us is I think really what, what counts and what's important. But we get so kind of caught up in this sort of critical minded approach to like, yeah, you know, got to follow the rules here because that's what the realm of the critical mind is all about. But on an intuitive level, it's just like, no, let's march to the beat of our own drum and see where that leads. There's something so liberating and refreshing around that. And I think you're just, your story is so inspiring from that point of view. Well, it's tough because um, there's a balance between, you know, new and, and expanded language to have to include representation without then that language becoming a box of its own yeah. and I think that's what happens a lot um but I you know as we're saying all of these things are important so I still think that language and checking in with those people who are who have been representing that way for a long time is just a good way to like gut check that you're yeah I mean just I guess I'll say co-opting again but like just that you know yeah yeah you gut um, but it's, but it's true thing. it's like you're I think that's that's what I learned in looking up trans is like, oh, there aren't as many rules to this as I thought. Yeah. yeah. It's yeah. even more expansive than you realize. That's what I'm right. sensing. And I'd been feeling bound by while I was loving seeing pronouns and glad that people were making that more visible. I was like, well, I don't then I was thinking about my journey in terms of um pronouns and trying to figure out if I was a they them. Like as if that's an identity on its own um and so i got hung up in those boxes being like i can't i don't think i can jump squarely into that one mm -hmm. right. <laughs> so it is funny the boxes we really encapsulate yeah yeah so maybe you could share a little bit more about the use of pronouns i know that i've been asked about it um because i have she her on mine and then um I was talking with one, one of my daughters and they're like, well, maybe you're a she, they. And I'm like, well, I don't know enough about that. I need to look into that more. So I would just love to hear what um, you think about the helpfulness of identifying pronouns and the importance of that and, and just any anything else that you have to say on that topic would be probably helpful for us. Yeah, I had a client the other day who was saying, he was asking me, he didn't understand why he got an email from his daughter and in brackets, it was she, her underneath her name. It's like, please tell me, explain. <laughs> I, I couldn't really do a good job. So maybe I'll share this, uh, this podcast with him. Hopefully it will 
enlighten him and me too. <laughs> yeah, I think I had maybe like the same reaction in the beginning as well and had to learn about it too. So um, it can feel interesting for this, this person uh, to put she, her, or he, him, and and then the person receiving the email is like, yeah, I know, or why would you? <laughs> <laughs> is this a riddle? <laughs> right like okay um it it opens the door for people who don't um have pronouns that either would be assumed to be their matching ones or that you know are they them um it opens the door for them to put it on their signature as well um now they could be the only ones putting it and cis people not putting it but then there's sort of this othering to that, like the way that cis people have taken it on as well. In my mind, it kind of, um, it's a nod to like, I, I see you, you know, like I understand this might be something that is going to be different for you. So let me put mine down. And it's like, it's also showing that we're all kind of um, signing the gender as a construct petition. <laughs> Like, like by putting it, you're telling, you're affirming that we can't just assume someone's gender based on how they look. So I think it's just a great nod to this progress. I like that idea of being a petition. That's yeah, cool. we've signed the petition. <laughs> can I ask a question? And I hope I'm not going to put my foot in my mouth. I probably am, but <laughs> and I probably should know this. But you, you, you've referred to cis a couple of times. I, I don't oh, know what that is. No, yeah, that's a great question. So cis, and I don't actually know the root of like why that's the word used, but it refers to someone who identifies with the gender they were assigned at birth. So if so, you're like a cis male, it means like you're not, not like a trans an, male. It's You've, not like an acronym or something. No, I think it's like a shortened, I, I, I don't want to misspeak either. We could put it in the show notes. Um, put it in the show notes. Yeah, because like, because, yeah, I'm not exactly sure the root, but it's, I don't, it might be an acronym actually. But yeah, so CIS, just that's what I mean when I say that. And it's C I S. Yeah. Okay. I'm glad that you yeah. asked that because probably a lot of people might not know that. Yeah, I was like, oh my God, I should, am I supposed to know this? Yes, you are. I do now. <laughs> well, and I just want to like say that questions are great. You know, like I, I do think it's really, it, I mean, I don't want to speak for everyone, but I, I like when people, are curious and ask questions because then it just yeah it shows um an interest and like a respect for so uh, don't worry about putting your foot in your mouth with okay. me <laughs> okay. I, I worry more for my wife because she doesn't like it when i do she might she might put your foot in your mouth <laughs> you're trying to avoid that she's fantasized about that on numerous occasions sometimes i feel like you're putting your foot in my mouth and i don't like that <laughs> That's but the I worst. To, I have to learn to be less codependent and controlling. Can, can I can I share the April Fool's joke or, or go ahead? Know? Go ahead. So you know you made your post on uh, Facebook explaining you know pronouns and that was wonderful, and so Rahini came into the room and I said oh I just saw Lainey's Lainey's post and she says that's great did you comment I said yeah I said you go girl and. Ra and that's hilarious <laughs> she probably i was uh, like oh, she mortified totally flipped out <laughs> and, and i let her flip out for a good minute and i said april fools <laughs> honestly i love that that's hilarious. <laughs> i can really picture How that going you? down <laughs> 
didn't. You should have videoed it. I we could have sent it to Lady. You would have loved it. I guess I, I should have done an April Fool's. <laughs> Just kidding. <laughs> oh, my goodness. You really got me. But it was after 12, and I know that you're not supposed to do April Fool's after 12 yeah. p.m. Oh, well. I'm an, I'm an icon class. Anyway, what can I say? You totally got me on it. I believed you. That just shows what I think about you. <laughs> you know, I put you go, girl. What else would I put? <laughs> Incredible. Well, we can say, we can call you a girl now because you're going to call me a guy. That's so true. it's fine. Yeah. Crisscross. Yeah. <laughs> Goes both ways. point though that you said about gender being constructed I think is a really uh, interesting and um, you know profound point and there's a lot of misunderstandings around gender and um, misbeliefs around it so um, is that anything that you'd like to speak to here? I mean I think this is where everyone um, you know everyone can relate to being boxed in, you know, like, even if you are, um, cis, right. Like, you know, traditionally for a man, that might mean you're like not supposed to cry or like, I think we're progressing toward breaking a lot of the gender boundaries. And even if that doesn't mean like disidentifying with your gender, it could mean expanding your box and like what that means to be a woman, a woman, to be a man, to be non-binary or whatever. So that's the cultural, I guess, uh, encasement that's not, that's not too healthy. And then um, construct wise, yeah, it's just that we create based on, um, you know, <laughs> well, really at birth, like at birth, we create based on genitalia that is, and then there's this whole other thing of some, a lot of times sex is actually ambiguous. So we just build a lot of house of cards around like what that means um, for then how this person is going to be presenting in the world or presented to the world. Um, and so that would be what I would say about gender being a construct is it's, it's not actually real. <laughs> it's, just, it's something um, quote unquote man-made. <laughs> you know, I'll say human-made. It's right. human-made. <laughs> Um, but probably man but actually though, right? it is man yeah. <laughs> so that's actually technically accurate yeah. um but yeah so anytime we start expanding that is a good is a good time <laughs> <laughs> that's right well, i was gonna say it just all boils down to programming and conditioning yeah. at the end of the day doesn't it yeah yeah and to realize that we can wake up from that and to even just being able to see it as made up and conditioning is freeing. And then we have some choice over whether or not we do want to identify with it, or perhaps we realize that deeper um, inclination within us is actually pointing us in a different direction beyond that conditioning and that we can actually embrace that, which is what I hear you really being a beautiful model for. Yeah. And like, and this isn't me like, you know, reigning on femininity and masculinity, like, it's more me saying that it's all so much more intertwined. Like, I think feminine and masculine elements can, are beautiful things. And sometimes you really want both and it's a balance. And, um, and you know, there's obviously stuff in between there too. But um, yeah, so it's not 
saying it's not crapping on gender it's crapping on the boundaries that we create for gender and who we create those rules for and how and it's like for me i feel that i mean this is how i see it is that we all have feminine and masculine qualities within ourselves there's not it's not about sex those are just qualities that we have as humans and i can embrace some pretty masculine qualities at times or be more feminine it just depends on you know where i'm at in that mm-hmm. way moi aussi <laughs> i'm getting french now <laughs> fancy what is uh me too moi aussi yes i know oh. <laughs> Nice. I don't know. I didn't. I didn't know how to respond. <laughs> you were looking at me to sort of come up with some sort of profound statement, and no, I wasn't looking at you for profound statements. I was. I was just looking at you because you made a noise, and I thought maybe you wanted to say something. <laughs> I, don't, I don't know. I even made a noise. <laughs> Sometimes I hear you make a noise, it's and a, I look maybe at it's you. Maybe like a noise of assent. It could be. It yes. could be. There was one other thing that I wanted to explore because you talked about. Uh, in our email how being queer or trans is not innately painful and that sometimes it's portrayed as if it is innately painful and I thought that was a really important point to share about so I'd love to hear more about that too yeah thanks for bringing that up um yeah it's just that (laughs) it's it's like um you know some uh some of the typical responses um, historically to someone maybe coming out as gay or queer, or whatever, um, it from like a parent or, okay, I'm not gonna get this right. I'm just gonna like just say it. <laughs> is like, hmm. oh no, you know, do you know that, like you're gonna have a painful life or like this is, um, like. I just, I just want what's best for you. And I just want you to be okay in the world. And it's like, so the issue isn't the the queerness, um, the gayness, the issue is the dominant culture's response to that queerness um, and the marginalization that happens as a result of it or not having equal rights. Those are the things that are painful, but not being in same sex relationship or having same sex attraction or being genderqueer and outside of the binary, those things are fun. (laughs) I mean, I think the fear, we bump up against fear of what that will mean, how we will, how we will be able to operate in a world that like Angus, you were saying is not set up for you. Mm-hmm. We were saying that before the recording started. I think we're we're saying that Angus sometimes says it's hard being an Angus, <laughs> and it's because the world isn't really set up for someone with an Angus type brain. <laughs> Typically, I find that is the case more and more. It's like you're having to use you're, you're not you're not left-handed, but it's like Greg was saying how he's left-handed and has to use scissors that are made for people that are right-handed, and it's really difficult. yeah. I have to yeah. find my own way. I guess the greatest example of that was when I was a photographer and I learned I taught myself Photoshop. And the way that I do Photoshop for my photography is altogether completely different to how it's taught <laughs> to, to the people that I came across with vis-a-vis most of the uh, most of the art directors who, like you know, can press a keyboard, a key on a board, and do some technique. But I have some incredible techniques, and they were just flabbergasted how I would do these things with Photoshop that were so against the rules. But I still got to the same place and sometimes quicker. But I just learned my way. I think that's the fantastic thing about life is we are all individuals. 
Mm. Um, and we can just rely on, on that creative source, which is universal. And we just get to distill it in our own inimitable way. And that's what's fantastic about life for me, is seeing everybody's individual expression using the same core source mm. of inspiration and creativity and just to see what they do with it. I love that. I love what you're doing with it. I love what you're doing with it. I love what I'm doing with it. It's <laughs> awesome. But it's like, that's what's awesome about being human is just being able to let people freely express themselves how they want to do it. It's, it's their life. Let them do with it how they want to. Yeah, it's embracing the diversity that is um, a bonus for all of us. And that's what I hear you saying, Lainey, is that when we get outside of the constructs that have been made up or that have just been assumed how things need to be and really allow ourselves and others to listen deeply to what feels true and alive inside of them, we we change things. Boxes fall away, but there's a, a richness that emerges from that um, that is just so powerful and I think strengthening for all of us that we all benefit from it. Yeah, that kind of brings up for me like a good way of, of telling someone about how this is innately good feeling is it's just like rewilding for anybody else. Like whenever someone feels really truly embodied and truly authentic, like that's what it feels like to be living in a... Um, yeah, it, 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 even if that takes the shape of queerness or yeah, same-sex exactly. relationship or whatever. So that would be my response is like, well, if rewilding feels good to you, same for me. <laughs> exactly. And it does, right? It feels expansive yeah. and alive. Exactly. <laughs> is there anything that we, we have um, our fun questions that we're going to ask you, but before we get to that, is there anything that we haven't covered that you'd like to have us cover as part of this episode? I don't think so. And if there's anything lingering, it might end up coming through with the yeah, relationship questions. Okay. Well, I have a question. Yeah, go ahead. So the term queer, I'm, is it one of those terms that only someone who is gay can use? Because if I use that term queer, it just sounds like that's a derogatory term. It seems like coming from my lips, that might be offensive. Um, a friend of mine who's gay may refer to himself that way. I don't think I could refer to him that way because he would probably be offended. That's my assumption anyway. So I was surprised to hear that term. Yeah. So, I mean, it used to be used as like um, a derogatory thing um, against gay people. Um, but now, you know, we've sort of um, turned it into, uh, it, it really came about um, because gay and lesbian is also on a binary so we needed a word that is more umbrella to like, especially if you're in a, if you're non-binary and you're, or if you're in a relationship with a trans person and then by being gay as a result, it's not honoring that that person had a trans journey. So then queer kind of like is this big umbrella that allows more space for it to be out of the binary. Um, so that's why we've started using it that way. I don't know when it specifically took a positive turn and so I think there's just a big difference between being like you queers and being like oh my friend identifies as queer or my friend I, I think you could say my friend is queer and yeah especially if that's how they identify that wouldn't sound like you're saying like he's 
a queer. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Right, right, right. Yeah. Yeah, 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 yeah. Okay. Yeah, I don't know if I'm ready to go there yet. So, I'll play it safe, yeah. Yeah. Well, I think what's happening, though, is that it's been um, co-opted and reused in a way that's empowering for yeah, people gotcha. so that that derogatory connotation is actually gets wiped out, in a sense, yeah. from that, or the intention behind it is yeah. that. And I have this thing where I think adjectives tend, like using words, am I saying that right? Using words as adjectives instead of a noun um, is less derogatory sounding or gentler, like being like, like that's, I've, well, actually that's because of gender. I was going to say, I've usually identified as gay because I like that it's an adjective instead of I'm a lesbian um, Mm. when, you know, and so, or if someone says gays, you'd instead you'd say like gay people. Right. So anytime you kind of just turn it into, it's a descriptor instead of like a noun that already kind of makes it feel more respectful. That's a good rule of thumb. Mm -hmm. All right, are you ready to move on to the questions? I am. All right, so All right. these are these are our um, the questions. Yes. Okay, to ask the questions. Lainey's in a are relationship. We doing a podcast? <laughs> oh yeah. <laughs> yeah, I am currently in a relationship. At least last I checked. So I think for <laughs> for people that don't know what Angus is talking about, he uh, he, he was a little insensitive about these questions. With someone who had broken up. Yes. Felt like that was inappropriate. Yeah. <laughs> but you were just thrown off course because you were trying to be ready for the schedule. That's right. Of exactly. events. And so then you were showing like, I'm here, I'm ready. I'm ready to do the questions. I know what we're doing. That's right. I want to follow the rules. <laughs> At least that's how I heard it. It was, it was one of those days when it was hard being an Angus. <laughs> no, it's hard. It was hard for you that I was being an Angus is more appropriate way of looking at it. <laughs> that's right. I have to expand my box. I'd have quite happily asked the question because you were having a problem with it. <laughs> okay, we'll have to try them out with someone who's <laughs> recently Single. broken up and yeah, see yeah, how they yeah. feel about it. Yeah, it'd be interesting. <laughs> All right, well, this is the first question. What's one of your fondest memories in your relationship? Hmm. First thing that comes to mind. Okay. Um. Geez, I mean, I guess when she finally told me that she liked me back (laughs) i'd kind of put myself out there and she wasn't ready to hear that and then we you know kind of kept hanging out as buddies and then she was like you know i'm into you and that kind of put me into the fetal position (laughs) (laughs) that's lovely that is definitely a fond memory yeah well what is one of the funniest memories in your relationship funniest um gosh okay i guess we aren't laughing enough Uh, (laughs) okay so this came to mind um you know like the richard scary books um like the um the lowly worm who drives that little apple car no, tell no. us more. What are they? Is this a 90s kid thing? Or <laughs> yeah, I missed the gap. Our kids weren't born then and we weren't reading those books. <laughs> I, yeah, I grew up with those books and there's a worm. It's a drawing and he's driving. I think it's a he driving an apple car and he's got like this little look on his face. And Allie, my partner, often makes 
that face and so i had to call her the lily worm she wasn't a fan but then once i ordered this t-shirt that has the graphic of it she's really embraced it and now she just like makes the face all the time so that's been entertaining that's great i love that we will definitely have to check out the book we will i'm going to uh so the next question has there been a difficult time in your relationship and if there has what helped you to get through it when we first started dating i yeah (laughs) it's like i mentioned before um i still had a lot of like similar habitual pattern thinking that came rushing in and so it's just so true that relationships aren't with the person they're with whatever baggage you have going on (laughs) and so I wasn't able to just the way you know when we were in the honeymoon be all like clearly with this human and just instead I was really in my fog um and so we it just took us a long time to navigate like high anxiety um sort of broken expectations for her um specifically around I needed to sleep separately to get a good night's rest and I needed a good good night's rest to not be a monster so So we really had to navigate like once all of like my truths came to surface um and uh she stuck by me I did like traditional therapy for a little while and then when that ended I kind of came back into this understanding and I think that really helped to just kind of relax a little bit. So how do you divide domestic labor in your relationship? This is something that comes up for us a lot um, because I would I would like to more specifically like divide it up so we just know what we're doing versus like she's much better at like feeling like I'm not keeping track and I don't you know but I'm sort of like well I I'm a little more um tit for tat if you will like I'm like well I just did this like why did you just go get ready for bed instead of like you know I want to get ready for bed too but I'm washing the dishes um so (laughs) so that would be um, a work in progress because we haven't really made it um, official. It's more just something that keeps kind of naturally occurring. And then that sort of sometimes brings up some conflict <laughs> if it doesn't feel even. <laughs> so, and we don't think that there's a right way with any of this. We're just curious to see how people navigate it because everybody kind of has different ways of figuring this out. We still, we've been married, what, 26 Seven yeah, and years? I was hoping that out of these pod, out of this <laughs> podcast, there was going to be some significant pearls of wisdom come forward that could rectify years of drama around this very, very issue. <laughs> the, this yeah. question is for Angus. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and also, yeah, we we just started living together. Um, when would it have been? Fe- like February of last. It, we've been living together for like a year, I think. So, you know, these you things are pretty time. fresh. <laughs> yeah. Well, yeah, Rahini's idea of, uh, ideal idea of washing up is just to throw it all in the trash. <laughs> That's not true. <laughs> yeah, I'm kind of micromanaging and she wishes I would kind of just trust her to do things. And then sometimes I'm like, 
I'd rather do it myself because then I know it's happening the way I want it to. Yeah. <laughs> but then I'm like, you don't do enough. So really, she's kind of screwed. Yeah, Ellie and I are on the same page, I would say. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> I can relate. All right. So the next question is, how are finances handled in the relationship? Well, right now we are like pretty separate. We just like we'll kind of, you know, we have, we're not married or anything. So we're separate and then we'll kind of tally up like who's been paying for what and then uh, even it out um, or pay each other back. Um, and then, but eventually I'm hoping for full-blown um, sugar mama status. On the <laughs> <laughs> That's You're the dream. Right, I want to be like house dad, house person. And she can like go do the corporate world. <laughs> Isn't she doing her MBA? Yeah. Yeah. So, so realistic. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Um, your turn. What was the biggest misunderstanding you woke up from in your relationship? Hmm. I think I'm still trying to get there. Um, <laughs> you know, I'd, I'd love for us to like both kind of sometimes be exploring this because I feel like sometimes people's answers are like we together. Oh, maybe that's my misunderstanding that oh, she go. <laughs> needs <laughs> to get this for us to be good. Um, but I think I think really just um, learning and knowing that you can't get your peace of mind from your partner. Mm. You know, you got yeah. So I, I'm really still learning how to like kind of self soothe, um, and and not need that from her because um, you just can't operate that way. <laughs> no, that's profound. That's fantastic. Yeah, it is really profound. And so what's the favorite thing that your partner does for you? When we go on trips, ah, oh man, it's sort of favorite, least favorite. Um, when we go, <laughs> That's the next question, by the way. So, For example, we went... We're talking about travel here, I'm assuming. <laughs> trips. <laughs> we, we, um, we went camping like before COVID with a big group and... I was a little irresponsible that night um, <laughs> on the drinking front. And the next day I just felt like death in, and was just sitting in the car, like laying back. And she just does this thing where she like put, you know, gets the tent all packaged and sleeping bags and just gets us all ready to go. And then we leave and she doesn't really shame me about it. And it's just, she's, She's just very grace-giving, um, very giving, and very, like, um, uh, yeah, grace-giving and giving. It's really heartwarming. <laughs> Sounds like a keeper to me. <laughs> I know, right? <laughs> <laughs> Unless, I don't know, that will, I should have asked, well, yeah, that will now depend on how this next question goes. What is the least favorite thing your partner does? I did try to prepare for this one as I flipped <laughs> through my Rolodex. <laughs> but I think I'll just go with the surfacey one, um, which would be her addiction to cinnamon toast crunch. 
I just have some serious judgment around it. And yeah, I was um, gonna say, what do you have against cinnamon toast crunch? I, I think just you'd have a problem against that. <laughs> well, I'm, I'm like, oh, this is so heavily. Yeah, it's just sugary and it's processed and like, why can't you eat adult cereal? And I don't know. It just it gets me. <laughs> So when she's pouring her cinnamon toast crunch, she looks at me with the lowly worm face. <laughs> That's funny. That's how I look at you sometimes right. when I'm eating my chocolate. Exactly. Yeah. Is that it's your turn now? Oh, it's my turn. Do you have any relationship deal breakers? And if you do, what's one of them? You know, I just, so for me, this is just imagined. Yeah. But I think I can't, who knows, but I just feel like I can't survive infidelity. I just know how my brain works, and I don't think I'd be able to unobsess over that. Yeah, I mean, we all have our bandwidth and limitations, so I think that's a pretty common one. Yeah, and I mean, you know, it could change, who knows, but when I, like, think about it, I'm like, that's the one that really gets me. Yeah, that makes sense. All right. How do you keep physical intimacy alive in your relationship? Yes, I would call this a work in progress, but um, <laughs> but um, I I think just um, we definitely you know make each other laugh a lot, and I sometimes when we're watching TV, I kind of like want more space. <laughs> <laughs> but I realize just being able to build it in, like. Um, uh, doing a little more acts of service in the terms of like massage for her, things like that. I realized even just um, yesterday, I was kind of working something out for her, her neck and just the act of like, I'm touching her body again, feels like a closeness, you know? And so there's just so many different entry points, I think for keeping it alive, but I think I need to give her more massages. <laughs> oh, well, hopefully she listens to this. <laughs> I think I think Rahini would like me to be in another room while she's watching TV. <laughs> oh, so this is where we, where I'm more like Rahini. Yeah. <laughs> well, it's funny because I guess I was watching something with subtitles yesterday, and he was just talking, talking, talking. He does. He's not watching this show, and I'm like, I'm just ignoring him because I'm trying to read the subtitles, and I can't have a conversation and read subtitles. Well, you do that anyway, if, even if it's with that without subtitles. You just want to focus. You don't want to have the flow interrupted. <laughs> Yeah, totally. it, I, I, I like, like to talk about the show and say, yeah, I know what's happening next. Oh, Angus, I pause the show like every four seconds to say something to Ellie. And she's, yeah, she wants to be physically close to me and I want to like sit off in a chair, but I talk and ramble the whole time and she wants <laughs> so to focus like on it. So we're yeah. All right, zigzagging. Yeah. We're kindred spirits on that front. <laughs> I'm always like pausing it. What do you want to say? I'm like, oh my god! Well, this is, this. and you know, the, this, the, right? The thirty, the thirty-minute show lasts for two hours. That's right. <laughs> I, I lane splain. Oh, and yeah, she always is like, when we look at the clock for how much time we have to watch a show, she's like, well, if we're watching an hour, it's gonna be two hours. So I don't think we have time to watch that. We need to watch a thirty-minute beep or something. <laughs> oh my goodness! The, who knew the parallels? I had no idea. So our final question, if, if you could only say one thing to Allie, what would you say to her? I really appreciate you and see you. 
and see what oh, you do for me. That's lovely. That's lovely. And yeah. stop with the cinnamon crunch. <laughs> stop. <laughs> yes. <laughs> cut that out and cut this out. <laughs> it's a long one thing. <laughs> stop with a cinnamon crunch, worm face. <laughs> Worm face. <laughs> lady landed on such a beautiful note, and you're just contaminating it. Sorry. <laughs> it's good though. He pushed know, my tears back in, see? so that was helpful. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> anyway. Oh my goodness. So um, yeah, that was that's the end of our questions. It was so fun having you on. Really, really appreciated everything that you shared. Um, I really hope that it's inspiring to many just the way that your post was on social media. I hope that this continues to um, help uh, give permission to people to really honor who they experience themselves to be and express that in the world freely and enrich all of us as a result of that. Oh, it was awesome to talk with you guys. Um, yeah, this was a lot of fun. So yeah, thank you. Well, thank you. I, you know, I think at the beginning you alluded to the fact that you weren't sure. You felt you seemed like you were going to struggle to to know what to say, but I, you've been so articulate. Really, I'm I'm oh, I'm really I'm really inspired by your story and how you articulated it. As I say, it's wonderful. Thank you. Yeah, and I think it's really a benefit to many people. So I'm really grateful that we get to help share this with the world. Me too. Thank you both. It was awesome. Thank you so much for listening to Rewilding Love. If you enjoyed this podcast, please let us know by subscribing on iTunes. And we would love for you to leave a review there iTunes reviews will steer people to this podcast who need help with their relationships. If you would like to learn more about our work and our online rewilding community, please visit our website, therewilders.org. Thanks for listening. Join us next week.